Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. My regular producer grew off this afternoon. He's getting a flu shot. He's taking the day off, or at least the afternoon off, to get a flu shot. All right. He, I, I told him sometimes you got to play hurt. So Jordan is doing a double shift. Jordan, I apologize for you to in advance because today's show, it's going to be dedicated, many of the topics, to political correctness perhaps run amok, which means whenever we go down this route, we irritate a number of people inspire a number of others, which means when you answer the phone, there will be hostile people that were there. I'm just giving you this warning up front. But I'm ready, Jeff. You're ready? I'm well, ready. Okay, I'm that's prepared. What, that's what you say now. We'll talk to you at 3 o'clock <laughs> and see how you feel. Let us get started. If you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I have a number of tweets that um, highlight some of the stories that we will talk about today, including one that we're going to discuss later on this hour or maybe at the start of the next hour. And I understand it's the height of political incorrectness, but there's a very interesting piece by a medical doctor in today's Wall Street Journal which raises the question of whether it's possible, just possible, that health experts were correct last March when they said that wearing a mask had little effect on the transmission of COVID-19. Now, I understand just, just even saying that causes people's heads to completely and totally explode. Don't you understand if everybody wore a mask, um, we, COVID-19 would disappear in a week? Well, all right. It's an interesting theory. Um, as to why that might be overstating the role of masks. We will talk about it, but if you want to get a head start and see it, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Also want to start, though, with a story, and again, I have a link to this up on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620, about, and to me, this underscores just how nuts, and there, there's no other word to describe it, just how nuts some people have become. Let us talk for a minute about the Girl Scouts of America. Now, think about the Girl Scouts of America and their mission. Now, you, you think about, well, they, they sell Girl Scout cookies and things like that. That's great. But you, you think about what the Girl Scouts are designed to do, and it is essentially to empower young women, right? Te- teach them values and things of the like and, and teach them to succeed and to kind of open horizons and say, all right, look, you know, you, you, you can accomplish this. Now, one of the ways that you do that is by, I would argue, celebrating people who have accomplished things, which brings me to what happened yesterday. And again, I have a link up if you follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. The Girl Scouts. Okay, what what was the big thing that happened earlier this week with regard to women? Well, the fifth woman in history was confirmed as an as a justice on the United States Supreme Court. That would be Amy Coney Barrett. So yesterday. On their official Twitter and Facebook page, the Girl Scouts of America had a posting. And what it said was it it focused on, a matter of fact, I'm looking at the posting as we speak, and it had a picture of Justice Amy Coney Barrett. And it had on, as part of that picture, it was her. It had um, Justice Elena Kagan. 
It had Justice Sonia Sotomayor. It had Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And the first woman appointed to the Supreme Court, um, Sandra Day O'Connor. So it had uh, pictures of all five of the women who have served on the United States Supreme Court. And this is what the Girl Scouts of America wrote. And I, I hope you're sitting down. Look, and, I, and if, if you're driving your car, you I, I don't want you to be shocked by this. Maybe you should pull over and, and just, like, park. Because I, I don't want the car going off the road by being shocked by, you know, what, what the Girl Scouts of America said. Here's what they said. Congratulations, Amy Coney Barrett, on becoming the fifth woman appointed to the Supreme Court since its inception in, in 1789. Yes, that, that's what they, they put up there on their Twitter account and on their Facebook account. Congratulations, Amy Coney Barrett, on becoming the fifth woman appointed to the Supreme Court since its inception in 1789. And then pictures, again, of all the five women who have served on the United States Supreme Court. Now, you, you would think... At least I would argue that that that's first of all that that's kind of that's sort of innocuous here. We secondly, you know, what could be more appropriate for the Girl Scouts of America? They are recognizing the accomplishment of a woman, along with the accomplishments of the other four women who also preceded, in this case, Justice Barrett to the Supreme Court. Uh, Girl Scouts say, hey, we're we're a non-political, non-partisan organization. You know, what what we're here is we're here to celebrate accomplishments of women. You would think that, except as soon as they posted that, the world of social media goes absolutely, totally bat crap crazy with people denouncing the Girl Scouts. The idea is I'm just looking at some of the things. I'm never going to buy Thin Mints again. Another woman texts, I I spend $1,000 on Girl Scout cookies every year. I refuse to spend one more dime on this organization. Um, and so they're getting all this hate, and they, they say they respond. They say, "Look, Girl Scouts of the USA is a non-political, non-partisan organization. We are neither red nor blue, but Girl Scout green. We are here to lift up girls and women." Oh, um, let's see. Then there's people saying, "Oh, the eight-year-old me did not stand outside every grocery store within a 50-mile radius of San Diego County in a thin mint costume for this Girl Scouts." Hashtag Christina tweeted. It goes on and on and on. Girl Scouts grow up and need a full range of health care. We should not be applauding the appointment of this woman. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How petty can some people be? Is it impossible, impossible nowadays to not view everything through a political prism and the idea that the Girl Scouts of America should be criticized, should be threatened with boycotts merely for recognizing the accomplishments of of a woman appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, isn't this what the Girl Scouts are supposed to be? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Shame on every one of those haters that are out there. And if you wonder where the divisiveness in this country comes from, if you wonder where the hate in this country comes from, it's from things like this, 
where you have a, a benign gesture, Girl Scouts of America recognizing the accomplishments of, of a woman, and now they're, they're threatened with old boycotts to the point that they ended up having to take down these posts because they were getting so much hate from, I think, crazies, in this case on the left, who were just outraged. How dare they even recognize that you have a woman who might disagree with us on certain issues who's now been elevated to the United States Supreme Court? 855-616-1620. I will tell you, um, had it... I'm, I'm a little bit critical that they decided to take it down because they, they gave in to the mob mentality that was out there. And that's unfortunate because it encourages the mob. Nevertheless, I, I like the original sentiment, and I don't eat Girl Scout cookies anymore. But if I did, I'd be encouraged to buy a few extra boxes. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the Girl Scouts do anything wrong by honoring or at least recognizing the appointment of Amy Coney Barrett to the United to Amy Comey Barrett to the United States Supreme Court? My answer is no. And shame on everybody who decided that they were going to make what is really a benign post celebrating the accomplishments of, of a very, very accomplished woman that they decided, okay, well, we, we've got a rip on the Girl Scouts because they they applauded this woman's elevation to the Supreme Court. 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620. If you want to, again, see the story I'm talking about, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 But if you're just tuning in, yesterday, Girl Scouts of America comes out with a posting on Twitter and Facebook. It's pretty benign. It says, Girl Scouts of America congratulates Amy Comey Barrett on becoming the fifth woman appointed to the United States Supreme Court. And it's got a picture of Justice Barrett, and it's got pictures of the other four women who have served on the court. I mean, it's like, hey, we're, we're celebrating the accomplishments of of a female who's, you know, on the Supreme Court. Well, that started a firestorm of hate, and you know who you are, from people, I'm never buying Girl Scout cookies again. This is appalling. Don't they know how awful Barrett is, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't stand in line selling Girl Scout cookies for this. And and the Girl Scouts are saying, look, we're, we're not political. This isn't red. It's not blue. We're just recognizing the accomplishments of, of a woman. And isn't that what we're all about? We're happy to... Isn't, shouldn't it be inspiring to see women elevated? But yet the haters are out there. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Dave in Green Bay. Hi, Dave. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I think uh, people are a little goofy today as far as, you know, I, I my wife and I raised three sons. They were all in scouting. I've got granddaughters now. It's really ironic. I raised sons. Now I have nothing but granddaughters. But I would hope that if they do go into the Girl Scouts, it's a fine organization. And as far as them hailing Amy Coney Barrett, I, I was happy when they nominated her. I think she's very qualified to be there. But I think people, uh, you know, when I walk out of a grocery store and a little girl starts buying cookies, how can you not stop and buy cookies? I mean, that's just horrible. You know? <laughs> well, well. I, I just think the left is... And I've got I've got relatives up here that are so hell bent and stuck in the left way of thinking that they they're the most intolerant people. They will not even discuss your side. They're so intolerant, and they they claim to be so tolerant and so forgiving of such things, but they're the most intolerant people I've ever been around. Well, you know, it's interesting, Dave. I mean, I'm getting all these texts. I'm not even going to read some of them, but it's all. It, don't you understand? This is Trump. 
<laughs> it's like it, 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 it's it's all Trump. We hate Trump. We hate Trump. Trump promote, promotes all this evil and hatred, and he's a divisive force. Okay, so explain to me how that justifies ripping on the Girl Scouts for doing a shout out to the fifth woman who's been on the United States Supreme Court. And also, by the way, it's got photographs of all the other women, too, who come from all sorts of different political perspectives. It's this sort of blind hatred. We hate, we hate, we hate that's out there that just makes you shake your head. The Girl Scouts are an organization that is all about empowering women and encouraging them to uh, you know, to uh, achieve to the highest. And if you now are at a point where, gee, we can't acknowledge this person, you know, because, well, gee, we don't agree with their politics or or we don't like the way they got appointed. So hate, hate, hate. We're going to take it out against the Girl Scouts. Again, I repeat, shame on you. Shame on you. Let's talk to David in Mequon. David, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, it's very disheartening uh, to hear that and to see that because, you know, obviously, from all intents and purposes, this woman has done everything by the book, and now we're demonizing her because, you know, her, I guess, political association. And that's uh, that's scary. And I, I really hope the people, the ones that demonized her, I hope there's a lot of people that go to the Girl Scouts and actually make up the difference and say, you know what? Good for you. I'm glad that you did that. But please put your message back up, your original message, so that other girls and women can see that and say, you know what, this is a good thing as opposed to being a bad. Well, well, right. I mean, th- I mean, look, and I, I will tell you, I, I, I will feel, I would feel the same way. Look, th- this is. Let us assume, for the sake of argument, that less than a week from now, that um, Kamala Harris is elected and becomes the first female vice president of the United States. Oh, okay. Now, now is the point that is: should the Girl Scouts not put out a tweet or not put out a Facebook thing recognizing her for her achievement? And it would be a tremendous achievement because it's going to upset some people on the right. Now, my guess is a, a lot of those trolls that went out after went out and the haters that went after Girl Scouts for acknowledging Justice Barrett, they would think nothing of the Girl Scouts, you know, a- acknowledging Vice President if. Uh, Vice President-elect Harris if, if Biden ends up winning. My point would be if the Girl Scouts are all about empowerment and encouraging people to achieve, then we should be recognizing women who, who do achieve. But now I'm sure Girl Scouts is in the situation where, okay, now if we recognize Vice President-elect Harris, if that happens a, a week from now, all right, what, what's are we going to get the feedback from the right? My guess is not as much, but that would just be my guess. But again, it, this is this is what is so frustrating and it's what America has become. And no, it's not all because of, of President Trump. I, I concede that, you know, he has not helped elevate the discourse. But the bottom line is there's a lot of hate that is out there. And you see it in these weird sort of fashions. And you see these people in kind of the dark corners of the Internet who just can't recognize and see the bigger picture. Oh, we don't like Justice Barrett. We hate this, so we're going to take it off on the Girl Scouts. I mean, seriously, give me a break. Jeff, I guess I will have to buy more cookies. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's that's kind of it. And even though, like I say, I don't typically eat, I don't, I don't eat Girl Scout cookies anymore. Maybe, maybe the whole idea is maybe this year I got to break down. And again, and I understand I'm not criticizing them for taking down the postings. 
They're like, look, we're not a political organization. All we were trying to do is recognize a woman for this amazing accomplishment. And it is an amazing accomplishment to be appointed as a justice of the United States Supreme Court. But you can't even do that anymore because, again, of of the haters that are out there who think that they're allowed to do this or they should be able to do it because, well, I don't know, they're they're high-minded. We're morally superior to Justice Barrett, so we can just rip on anybody who wants to celebrate her accomplishments. Shame on you people. Back with more in just a minute. Okay, let me say at the outset, I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not one of these anti-mask people. I, I carry... I always carry two masks on my person. I wear them when I'm inside in stores and all. I, I think it, it can't hurt. I, I just I, I think it cannot hurt. But it's been interesting listening to this debate about masks over the last several months. And it, it's almost like there, there are people that are divided into the, these two camps, including people who seem to think that, well, if, if more people wore masks, that means that this, this that COVID-19 would disappear. Uh, okay, m- maybe. But my my question then is, well, we've, we've had mask mandates across the country and across the world for, for months and months, and COVID hasn't disappeared. And if you look at what's going on in Europe now, where you've had this huge resurgence, including European countries where compliance with the mask mandates has been has been widespread, you, you still see that that it's it's that, that, that the numbers are going up and. It makes me wonder, is it more complicated than just, okay, you know, wear masks and it's going to go away, which I think is is candidly a a naive sort of approach to it and maybe diverts us from talking about the things that we really need to do if we're going to get a handle on this disease before we get a vaccine. So in, in any event, I was attracted to a piece that appears in today's Wall Street Journal. It's written by Joseph Lapapo, who is Lapapo, who is a um, he's uh, an associate professor at UCLA's David Geffen School of Medicine. OK, so I, I'm. I've got a link to the whole article. Again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. But I want to share just a portion of it with you as a starting point for the discussion. The headline is, Masks are a distraction from the pandemic reality. Viruses inevitably spread, and authorities have oversold face coverings as a preventive measure. Okay, here it goes. A hallmark of COVID-19 pandemic policy has been the failure of political leaders and health officials to anticipate the unintended consequences of their actions. This tendency has haunted many decisions, from lockdowns that triggered enormous unemployment and increased alcohol and drug abuse, to school closures that are widening educational disparities between rich and poor families. Mask mandates may also have unintended consequences that outweigh their benefits. All right, the article continues. First, consider how the debate has evolved and the underlying scientific evidence. Several randomized trials of community or household masking have been completed. Most have shown that wearing a mask has little or no effect on respiratory virus transmission, according to a review published earlier this year in Emerging Infectious Diseases, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention's journal. In March, when Anthony Fauci said wearing a mask might make people feel a bit better, but it's, quote, not providing the perfect protection that people think it is, his statement reflected scientific consensus and was consistent with the World Health Organization's guidance. Almost overnight, the recommendations flipped. The reason? 
the risk of asymptomatic transmission. Health officials said mask mandates were now not only reasonable but critical. This is a weak rationale given that pre-symptomatic spread of respiratory viruses isn't a novel phenomenon in public health. Asymptomatic cases of influenza occur in up to a third of the patients, and even more patients have mild cases that are never diagnosed. Asymptomatic or mild cases appear to contribute more to COVID-19 transmission, but this happens in flu cases too, though no one has called for mask mandates during flu season. The piece continues. Rather, the high quali- highest quality evidence so far is studies like one published in June in Health Affairs, which found that U.S. states instituting mask mandates had a 2% reduction in growth rates of COVID-19 compared with states without these mandates. Because respiratory virus spread is exponential, modest reductions can translate into large differences over time. But these shifts in trajectory are distinct from the notion that mandating masks will bring the pandemic to an end. Based on evidence around the world, it should be clear that mask mandates won't extinguish the virus. The most reasonable conclusion from the available scientific evidence is that community mask mandates have, at most, a small effect on the course of the pandemic. But you wouldn't know that from watching cable news or sitting next to a mother being forced off an airplane because their small children aren't able to keep a mask on. While mask wearing has often been invoked in explanations for rising or falling COVID-19 case counts, the reality is that these trends reflect the basic human need to interact with one another. Claims that low mask compliance is responsible for rising case counts is also not supported by Gallup data, which show the percentage of Americans reporting wearing masks has been high and relatively stable since June. Health officials and political leaders have assigned mask mandates a gravity unsupported by empirical research. The article continues, by paying outsized and scientifically unjustified attention to masking, mask mandates have the unintended consequences of delaying public acceptance of the unavoidable truth. In countries with active community transmission and no herd immunity, nothing short of inhumane lockdowns can stop the spread of COVID-19. So the most sensible and sustainable path forward is to figure out how to live with the virus. Shifting focus away from mask mandates and towards the reality of respiratory viral spread will free up time and resources to protect the most vulnerable Americans. There is strong evidence that treating patients early in outpatient um, settings can be effective. The article then continues, identifying effective treatments for hospitalized patients with COVID-19 is essential, but preventing severe illness before hospitalization will save more lives. And here's how it concludes. Until the reality of viral spread in the U.S. with or without mask mandates is accepted, political leaders will continue to feel justified in keeping schools and businesses closed, robbing young people of the opportunity to invest in their futures, and restricting activities that make life worth worthwhile. Policymakers ought to move forward with more wisdom and sensibility to mitigate avoidable costs to human life and well-being. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand, and even just just bringing this up, it causes some people's head to explode. I am not anti-mask. Like I say, I have two in my pocket. I when when I am out in public, um, in, in especially in enclosed places, I wear a mask. Again, to me, it makes sense. To me, it is a responsible thing to do as part of of the overall community. I encourage people to do that. I think it is a good thing, regardless of whether the government has a mandate on it or not. I just raise this question. Though, about people who think that, all right, if everybody wore a mask, 
well, that, that means this virus is, is going to go away. And the truth of the matter is, I think if you look at where the virus is spreading, it's it's not just in areas where you have people that aren't wearing masks. The question becomes, how effective is it? Does it hurt? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But at the same time, this idea that the mask battle has now become the hill we, we fight on, to me, diverts attention from what you know we really should be concentrating on, which is increased testing and increased contact tracing and isolating the people that, that have it as a way of really trying to control the spread. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and again, the, the purpose of this isn't to say, "Oh, people shouldn't wear masks." I, I say, I wear masks. I, I don't have a problem with it. But it's this idea that's out there, and it's partly become so divided that, gee, if if more people wore masks, that means COVID would go away. And the point of the, this piece is, no. I guess I look at that and say, "All right." You know, you even look at countries where th- there's been widespread acceptance of mask wearing, and and the COVID is is just it's going through the roof. It's not a problem unique to Wisconsin or unique to the United States or unique to most of the world. Okay, Jeff, I agree 100% with that study. No masks for our family and not one person has gotten sick. Um, I, I just, I don't believe it. Well, again, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. As I said, Jeff, thanks for sharing the article. Data and common sense need to prevail in a pandemic, not necessarily hysteria that's out there. Jeff, how gleeful you are in reading that article. Stop spreading misinformation about fighting the pandemic. Your listeners are not the sharpest. They'll believe what most of you push. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. And then uh, the same person. Remember, a large number of Trump supporters are uneducated, and that's who your listeners are. Okay, so I... That's that's one of our one of our texters. You you know, if you're a Trump supporter, you're uneducated. You're too stupid to know how to protect yourself. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, can we not even have a discussion about this? All right, let's start. Katie in Burlington. Katie, good afternoon. Wow, that was a great segue to my point, Jeff. That last text. Um, this article presented some very good information and s- talked about rational thought and reason- reasoning that doesn't exist anymore. If you go to local Facebook pages, social groups, community pages, it is so politicized. I call them the Branch Covidians. <laughs> they believe the masks will save us. And if the numbers don't reflect it, then you need to hide in your basement. And then if the numbers don't reflect it, you need to shut down the world. If I posted this, I would be accused of wanting people to die, despite the fact that I wear my mask and I understand the rules and I follow them. It is literally, there is no discussion and no rationalization. They believe that. They will not deviate from it. They will accuse you of horrific things if you even suggest the plausibility that maybe our economy, our schools, and our lives can go on. And unfortunately, it just... There's not even a discussion anymore. That gentleman just said it. You are uneducated. You don't know what you're doing. You want people to die. That is what you get when you try to present. It's like they got their PhD from the Facebook College of Medicine. Well, well right. And, and they and will you put can't... it on there and say it's truth. 
Right. Well, and I guess that, that's the, that's the thing, Kate. And again, I, I think it, it makes sense. I, I, I have no problem with it. I do it myself. We maintain social distancing. I'm not rushing into crowded bars or anything like that. But, but at the same time, this idea that, okay, this is going to be the magic bullet. I'm afraid there, there isn't going to be a, a magic bullet that's out there and we just need to, you know, figure out the best ways to do it. And I would rather, rather than obsessing about like mandatory mask mandates and putting money into trying to enforce that, I'd rather be spending money on getting more testing and getting contact tracing and figuring out how to isolate people once we identify them with the disease. To me, that makes a lot more sense as to how to deal with this till we get a vaccine. Exactly. And even when we do get a vaccine, it's not a guarantee. How long have we had a flu vaccine? It doesn't solve everything. This might be something that is part of our world. And like any illness, if you are vulnerable, you need to take care of yourself. Got it. Thanks for calling. And, and that's and, and nobody is arguing. That. I don't think the doctor that wrote this piece is, is arguing that um, he, he's just saying that, you know, if we if we think we can do like one of these things and that's going to make a, a huge difference. And that's one of the questions that I have been asking all along. And it, it's always interpreted as being anti-mask. And, and it's not. I, wear your masks. Makes sense to me. But, you know, we, we've had mask mandates in Wisconsin and even in areas where there's large compliance with the mask mandate rules, you, you still see the number of COVID cases going up. And, and this idea that, okay, well, if you wear if you wear your mask um, and you're around other people who wear his masks, you're, you're not going to get it. I, I just, I, that the numbers just don't support it. Y- yes, does it reduce the likelihood slightly? Absolutely. So does that make it worth doing? Absolutely. But I... I just, I, as I've said this before, I mean, I, I now know a number of people who have COVID Everybody so far ha- has recovered from it, but the people I know who, who got it, they, they wear masks. They, they socially distance. They don't know where it was that they got it from, but they weren't rushing out to parties and standing in beer tents with four or 500 people. They just, they, they were living their lives. They were social distancing. They were limiting the people they saw, but they got it nonetheless. Bob in Richfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Well, you just kind of explained our situation. My wife and I have, have basically been in the house since March. We both now work from home, gone to trips to the grocery store and to Walgreens. That's about it. I, I don't think we, I, we might have once gone out to pick up a pizza or two. Always wore a mask. We, we stepped out of the house, we put a mask in. Well, guess what? We got COVID. So I, I really don't understand why that, that everyone thinks that this is the Cure all uh, end all to this, to this virus. It's a virus that's out there. It's going to happen to us. It, it's something that we're just going to have to get used to. Right. So you don't. So you you have you had it. How how you've recovered from it? I assume. Yeah, both of us did. Okay. I mean, do you have any idea? Do you have any idea how you got it? There's no nowhere I could. We didn't go anywhere without a mask. Always hand sanitized. Only grocery stores. Only Walgreens. Not no bars. No social events. Nothing. I have no idea. Probably at the grocery store. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I, right. Th- again, and, and this is it. This this segment is not to discourage people from wearing masks. Wear your mask. It, it makes sense. It is to raise this question, though, about are we spending all this time and energy concentrating on mask mandates that in many cases are largely unenforceable, at least from the government perspective? Or should we be focusing our time and attention, like I say, on on other things which I think would would the money would be better spent. Like I say, more testing. And Robin Voss, 
you know, state assembly person, you know, came out with his proposals yesterday. He said, look, we, we want to concentrate on, on more testing. We want to concentrate on rapid testing. We want to concentrate on identifying the people that are, are sick who have it. So what we can do is we can isolate them as soon as possible. And I would add throw in contact tracing to the extent you can. That, that's, that's where I think we need to spend money. That's where I think we need to spend resources. Yeah, wear a mask, and and yet, and of course, socially distance. I, I th- those are just things that that make sense from a health perspective. And wash your hands. Of of course, that's it. But it is kind of frustrating that this discussion has become well, mask versus no mask. And if you um if if you wear a mask, you're going to be morally superior, and you're going to be pristine, and you're not going to get sick. I it's just that that's not the way the numbers work. Does wearing a mask help? Yeah, it, it, it does. The numbers suggest it helps incrementally, but that's fine. That That's still good. It's not a reason not to do it. But if we're going to spend all this time spinning our wheels talking about this, shouldn't we be perhaps talking about some of the other things which, if implemented, might make more of a difference? That That's, I think, the point of this. And again, if you want to see the article where they articulate this, um, it's you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. It's a piece by a medical doctor in today's Wall Street Journal who doesn't discourage the wearing of masks. None of us are, but just says, look, if you think masks are the silver bullet, you, you, you got to kind of look at the numbers that are out there and raises the question of. Maybe medical professionals were right last March when they said, no, this isn't going to make any difference. All right. Lots more coming up on the program. Do not go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right. I've been waiting all day to discuss this. Is it possible... To have a relationship, to be married to someone who sees the world different in a different political viewpoint than you do. And I, the reason I ask this is because there, if you, if you believe the polls, and again, let's not go down that route discussing the validity of polls. And by the way, I, I understand sometimes a lot of people were reaching out to me over the last couple of days uh, about polls. I, and, and by the way, I, I don't think they're as bad as some people do, but I confess, when you have like a Washington Post poll two days ago that shows Biden ahead by 17 points in Wisconsin and a Marquette University Law School poll that shows Biden ahead by five, the difference between five and 17 is pretty broad. And 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 people say, well, the, the polls are just all over. That tells you that they can't be accurate. Well, I don't know if it tells you that, but it tells me, for example, that the Washington Post poll was a lousy poll. If anybody if anybody wants to give me Trump and 16 points in a wager, I'll I'll I'll, I'll take it. And and I'm not saying that, that, that President Trump might not be behind in the polls and might not end up losing Wisconsin, but it's not going to be 17 points. It's just flat out not going to be 17 points. And one of the problems with polls is that when you have polls that come out with these really, really skewed results, they tend to discourage some voters. They tend to suppress votes because people say, oh, I believe these polls and my guy's 17 points down. I, I, there's no sense in going out to um, to vote. That's kind of the insidious danger of the, of the different polls. Um, as I said yesterday, the Marquette University Law School poll that has the margin at, at five, 
that to me, I, I think that that's a more reasonable barometer of, of where this is. And if you talk to some of the campaigns and their internal polls, they'll, they'll tell you that as well. You also, if you want to understand what's going on in Wisconsin and you don't think it's, it's close, well, you're not paying attention to what's going on. Joe Biden is coming here. President Trump has been here on multiple occasions. You don't spend your time and resources going to states that you're not at least they don't consider to be at least potentially in play. And and the fact that the Trump campaign is here as much as they are tells me and it should tell you that they consider it to be in play. But in any event, going back to the polls, if you look at the numbers, what you see is there is a huge gender gap. And that is that men and again, you can break this down, but but men tend to prefer President Trump to former Vice President Biden. Women tend to overwhelmingly prefer Biden to Trump. And, and again, I know that's that might not be your situation or your neighborhood situation or your friend's situation, but, but that's kind of overall. And I would not be surprised if you see that there is a significant gender gap when we start to go back and look at the poll results from next week. All right, but, but that means, if that's accurate, that means that you've got husbands that support Trump, you've got wives that support Biden. And, you know, they're, they're just two diametrically opposed sort of things. And it has me wondering about the whole idea of what we're going to call the, the mixed marriages, the politically mixed marriages. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Can you have a successful, can you be successfully married? Can it be a successful marriage if you are married to someone who, uh, I, again, sees the world in a completely different political view than you do. The um, James Carville, Mary Madeline's, one of the most famous situations from, you know, back in the in the Clinton era, where she was a Republican operative, he was a Democrat operative. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I come at this from a, you know, sort of a personal sort of situation. I think if you've been listening to me over the 20-plus years I've been on the radio here, you know my late wife and I uh, did not share the same political viewpoint. She was a huge lefty in many sort of things and, and yet our our relationship and marriage you know worked um till death we did part you know and that's and and we were able to get through it and sometimes it it meant you know one of the two of us had to walk away sometimes it meant not talking about politics but but yeah our relationship and our marriage was based on a lot more than just you know sharing a particular political view now i won't say that it might not have been easier from time to time, perhaps, if, if we had shared the same political view. But at the same time, I have to tell you, um, lots of interesting conversations over the years about our political differences. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you've been involved in a politically mixed marriage, do you think they could succeed? Do you think you could be in a significant, you could be in a relationship or a marriage with somebody whose political views did not align with your own. How do we get through this election season when he's for Trump and she's for Biden? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 855-616-1620. Can politically mixed marriages survive, especially in today's hyper-partisan world? Let's start with Bill in Greendale. Bill, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Boy, oh boy, Jeff, You're, you got your finger on the pulse of it now, man. I'm starting to get upset about it, thinking about it again. <laughs> okay. I, uh, I, I do not want to be supporter. contributing to domestic in, uh, disharmony. That's not the purpose no, of this topic. Yeah. <laughs> man, I'll tell you, I'm a Trump supporter. My wife is, is not definitely not a Trump supporter. Um, her family upbringing was the Democratic Party, and uh, she she just she'll vote for Biden or she'll vote uh, third party or she'll do a write-in. I don't know what will happen, but uh, we don't see eye to eye. And honestly, our next-door neighbor is in the same, and they're great people, good friends of ours. There's a donkey stuck in one side of the lawn, and there's an <laughs> elephant stuck in the other side. Uh-huh. And the donkey went missing for two nights, and we were nervous. <laughs> the, so so do, how, do you, how do you deal with this? Do you, do you not discuss politics? Or, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. right. That's what's going to, um, I, I've been trying to leave some information and I've tried to open a few, start a few conversations by just kind of, you know, just touching on some very brief ideas, you know, about the way that our life is right now and the way that our life could change if decisions went a different way. And, um, it gets shut down real quick and, you know, they say happy wife, happy life. So I'm real quiet on it now, Jeff. It's just going to have to be what it is. No, I, I think, Bill, I, I think that, I mean, I think that's the, the key. It's sort of like, you know, I- anything that you have a couple where there is a strong feeling, you know, m- maybe it, maybe it's religion. I, I don't know what, what this would be. Maybe it's public schools versus private schools or whatever. A- at some point in time, I, I think you're right. I think the, you have to just take this position that, you know, I'm not going to convince my, my partner. I'm not going to convince my spouse. I'm not going to convince my significant other. So why fight about it? Now, there is a, a point where I, I think sometimes the discussions slash arguments can be sort of sort of intellectually stimulating. And but at some point in time, then you always have to know where that line is. And I think what happens sometimes is people People just just don't recognize that that stop sign is up, and okay, we, we've now we've now exhausted the the conversation about the merits of of our respective positions, and now we're, we're starting to get mean, and and we're starting to to say maybe some things that we're going to regret, and then there's your mother, you know that type of stuff. Um, th- that's where you have to be willing to draw the line and, and kind of back off and recognize that hey, there was something that attracted the two of you in the first place, and obviously. There, there's more, hopefully, that unites you than, than than separates you. And and as somebody who, like I say, my entire life, I've been surrounded with with people who've had similar political positions to mine, to people who've had completely diametrically opposed political positions to mine. And the way we deal with it, as a general rule, is okay. It, it's just not something that's going to come up. At the dinner table, it's not something that's going to come up in conversation. It's not something we're not going to get into a knockdown, dragout political argument at Thanksgiving dinner, for example, um, because it's just it's just not um, worth it. Jeff, let's take a couple texts. Jeff, I am not married, but my boyfriend and I do not always see eye to eye. He's conservative. I'm more moderate. He wants me to vote for Trump, but as I've reiterated, I cannot be get behind the Trump ballot. This doesn't affect our relationship, though, because we talk about politics openly. If I only were ever to hear my argument, I'd never know where he's 
coming from? If you don't know your partner's opinions and concerns, how successful is the relationship? Jeff, my husband and I have been married for 41 years. We are very happy, very different political views. At times, we just can't talk about it nicely, so we walk away. We have many different things that we agree on, and that helps, right? That's the key. I think you have to be able to say, okay, we're not going to treat this as as a blood sport. you got to know when... When to walk away. Jeff, my wife being raised in a, in a Union Democratic family finally saw the light of the, the day during Walker era. Um, she's now switched over to my side. Um, okay. Um, that's it. Then again, there's a number of people, again, that just can't get away from, oh, how can anybody vote for Trump? Jeff, I have strong political views where my wife doesn't care to the point that, that she won't ever vote. Jeff, I live in a house divided. I have to be on the, I happen to lean, lean to the conservative side. My wife's side are mostly teachers and very far left. I would like to discuss some of my views and thoughts, but there's no use. They just won't listen. So I keep quiet. Jeff, my wife and I are dramatically opposed. Um, we make it work. I try not to say much and have to be careful what's on the TV, like uh, Fox News, etc. I'd like to attend political events, but we can't. Well, that that's that's true. Okay, let's talk to Sam in Fox Point. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Sam. Love your show. Thank you, sir. Hey, um, with the part that, that, find, that I find uh, a little confusing is, you know, when you meet somebody, you start dating, I mean, generally, these topics come up. Um, so when people are vastly, you know, different in their in their views, why do they even get married? I find that odd. Um, well, because I, I because there's, I, I don't know, in in the whole scheme of things that attracts you to somebody else. I mean, maybe you'd like to have somebody that agrees with you, but maybe maybe you're also intrigued by the fact that you've got a, a really smart partner who can argue the other side with you, and it, maybe you find find it intellectually stimulating, if occasionally annoying, if you know what I mean. <laughs> No. Yeah, I do. No, Thank that, you. No, thanks for calling. I mean, that, that's what I, I, I guess that, that's what I say. And again, I'm, 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 I'm taking a walk back memory lane to when my late wife and I first got together. We met in law school and we, we, we had a, a lot of stuff in common. We didn't see eye to eye politically, but there, there were, in, she was just, just a brilliant woman. And we had, we had smart, intelligent conversations. And sometimes they were, they were arguments, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't an, enough. It wasn't going to be something that we were going to, you know, not be t- together with. And I, I'll, I'll tell you, interestingly, I hope Fran doesn't mind, mind me telling the story, but I, I mean, she has a number of, of family members and a um, number of sisters and, and some lean one way, some lean the other. And the discussions are are just absolutely fascinating. And I adore every one of my sister-in-laws. I, I, I do, even though I, I don't think some of some of them some of them don't think I'm conservative enough some of them think that I'm I'm uh you know way too liberal and and it's just but it's interesting conversations and I love them all and I love the discussions and it's intellectually stimulating and and it's fun and it's it's just it's one of the things at least to me that makes life worth worth living but again you, you have to keep it in perspective and you you can't take it too personally and you can't decide that okay every political argument that we're going to get into at the thanksgiving table or around the christmas tree or something every political argument's got to be this blood sport and and you got to do everything to win sometimes you just got to say okay you know th- this is my sister-in-law and and i love her and she's a wonderful person and she she 
doesn't think I'm conservative enough or she thinks I'm way too conservative or whatever. Fine. We, we've discussed this. Let, let's let's go have a drink. <laughs> That's the attitude I think that you, you have to have for this. But, yeah, I, I think I think it can work. I'm always intrigued when you drive around neighborhoods. And, for example, you, you pass a yard and there's a Trump sign up there and there's a Biden sign up there. And you will see that from time to time. And you always I, I'm always just tempted. You want to kind of just knock on the door and say, I'm just curious, you know, how 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 did this happen and how did you decide, you know, why wh- which who put up the sign first and then how did you respond when your partner decided to put up the other one? Just it's it's just an interesting world, isn't it? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is All Right Home and Remodeling. When you want it done right, call All Right at 414-353-6910 or find them at allrightremodeling.com. Uh, just a number of really interesting texts on this. And and by the way, I, I do understand that if you and your spouse are politically simpatico, I do think it can make life easier. <laughs> I do, you know, I do, I do think it it makes you know life easier when every time the evening news comes on, it's not this blood sport. Uh, and so I, it it does. I, I think that there is a value to it, but I, I do think you can have a politically mixed marriage. Um, Jeff, my wife has been historically left. She voted for Hillary, but 2020 has completely turned her right. The handling of social unrest in liberal-run cities nationwide, lockdowns by liberal governors. Um, she is a small business owner and what she perceives as disrespect for law enforcement. So that so she's coming around. Um, Jeff, uh, let's see. People say you really have people that say that you're way too liberal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I do. Jeff, my husband was a union steward, raised in a Teamsters home and always voted Democrat. I was raised in a split party home, but I usually voted Republican. Now we have flipped. I cannot vote for Trump. Um, as my husband, on the other hand, is leaning conservative. I look forward to our discussions, but he needs them spaced out more. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's like, okay. <laughs> that's right. Well, <laughs> she said that correctly. Right. Yes. We, we need them spaced out a little more. Well, we were talking off the air. Yeah. I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, but you're, not at all. You're, the significant others in your life tend to have a little d- different political I, leaning than you do. They do. And you know what? I always get to a point where, yeah, there are some heated discussions, but I think if you're an adult, you can have those conversations. Bottom line, if I ever get too frustrated, I say, honey, I love you. And that, you know, Trump's, you know, (laughs) politics, no pun intended. But yeah, you know, I mean, that definitely is more important. But it does lead to some very interesting conversations. And it does lead to some tension, too. (laughs) Well, that's it. I have a text here. Bottom line, I would never be in a relationship with a liberal, period. Okay, well, and I, and I know there's people that feel that way about the other side. I, I, how could I ever be in a relationship with somebody who's a conservative? You're, you're just. I guess I look at that and say you're just narrowing your. You are right. You know. Yeah, and I think that's not the first thing that you necessarily find out about a person, right? You learn about what they like, dislike, their personality. Are you know, they are a they good fun? person? Are, are they, they a bad yeah? Are, exactly. Is their heart good? Right. Exactly. You know, do they have? Yeah. I mean, I know there's a lot of other things that come into play, but right. That's that's it. And politics is is one is one component factor yeah. of that. I mean, I would actually imagine that. I don't know if you were a Packers fan. I mean, I, can you imagine being married to a Bears fan? I mean, you know, there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you've, you've got all those those different sort of tensions that are out there. Um, so it's it's just it's interesting, and I suspect, I suspect, you know, we we say this about every election, just like they say every election is the most important election of our lifetime. We we always say that every election is the most divisive election, and. 
And, and I don't know. I mean, is, is there a lot of divisiveness about this election? Yeah, there, there was. But I, I remember Trump, uh, Clinton in 2016. I, I, you know, I remember Obama and McCain in 2008. I, I remember, you know, Bush Kerry in 2004. I mean, um, I, you just, I remember a, a lot of these different elections. Gore Bush in 2000. The list goes on and on and on. There, 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 there's a lot of divisive elections that are out there. And, um, bottom line is we will get through this. What's going to happen for, for everybody who's distraught or not sleeping because they don't know what the results of the election are going to be. Here's the one thing. Take it from me. I guarantee it. The sun is going to come up Wednesday morning. I guarantee it. And the alarm clock is going to go off, and you're going to get up, and you're going to make coffee, and you're going to kiss your significant other. And if you've got kids at home, you're going to, like, rub their, their heads, and you're going to send them off to school or send them to the den to get on the, the if, it, if it's virtual, to you know, log on to study. I mean, the dog is going to need to go out to be walked. All that stuff is going to happen. The sun is going to come up next Wednesday. Now, some people are going to be happier than others, but the sun is going to come up. And you know what? Life is going to go on. So there you have you it. You sound like Annie. The sun will come up tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I won't burst into song, but <laughs> yeah, that's go. it. But it's just the truth. Sometimes people just get so wrapped up in this stuff and and life does go on. So, very glad to have you with us. Unlike the first three days, or at least two of the first three days of this week, the stock market rebounding a bit today. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 318 points. That's a 1.2% increase. Now, of course, it, it dropped, what, 900 and some points the other day. Uh, NASDAQ up 272 points. That's almost a 2.5% increase, and that's that's a positive. So everything is in the green today. But it's been it's been a rough week. And the, the truth of the matter is, what, what started the, the Dow on a on a big decline, it, it wasn't one particular thing, and it wasn't politics to the extent that, I guess, part of it was it appears that there's no hope of any sort of stimulus package coming through in the immediate future. And I think, regardless of whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, we, we should have been able to agree that there are 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 some things. That, that everybody could agree on that needs to be done, money to keep the airlines in business, stuff like that. And it's unfortunate that the stuff that everybody agrees should happen couldn't happen because Democrats wanted more, let's give us our wish list, Republicans didn't want to go in for that, and, and so as a result, stuff that everybody agreed should have been included in the stimulus package didn't get done. So you've got that. The other thing that was driving the, the stock market is the fear globally that you're going to have a return to the lockdowns of the spring. And that's, that is precisely what's happening in a couple of European countries that, by the way, had been the, the poster child for, hey, this is, this is how we solve COVID. You know, we've got, you know, first of all, lockdowns, and then we've got limits on gathering, and then we've got the mandatory mask wearing and all that. And now those countries are, are seeing a resurgence. I mean, the world is seeing a resurgence of COVID. We appropriately focus on Wisconsin because we're in Wisconsin, but it's going on all over the country and it's going on all over the world. And in Europe, You've had two countries that have just decided to roll back to the lockdown model. Germany, which was historically kind of supposed to be the the anti-COVID model of Europe, just ordered a one-month shutdown of all restaurants, bars, fitness studios, and theaters. Hotels are not able to host tourists. 
So essentially, the hotels are all shut down. Public gatherings can't be larger than 10 people from two households. France is beginning another national lockdown on Friday, requiring people to remain in their homes. Uh, Factories this time will be allowed to operate, but restaurants, bars, and quote-unquote non-essential shops will once again have to close by government edict. So you, you, you have massive shutdowns that are going to take place. Right. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Should we look at doing something like that in Wisconsin? Now, I, I think it, it's very, very clear to me, I think legally, that, that the governor can't impose the, the safer-at-home orders on himself, but the, by himself. But the legislature could come back in session, you know, right after the election, and they could say, all right, look, here, we're, we're looking at these COVID-19 numbers. And what we want to do is we want to roll it back to where we were in in March, and we want to roll it back to where we are in April. So we will reinstitute these shutdowns. So all non-essential businesses close down. The small jewelry stores close down. The hairdressers close down. The barber shops close down. The small luggage uh, stores close down. The dog groomers close down. All those things. We, we could go back to where we were uh, Back in in March, the legislature, I think, clearly would have the power to do it. My sense is Governor Evers would embrace that were the legislature to do it. And I guess then the effect is, well, you've got a lot of businesses, a lot of small business owners in particular who just barely made it through that last shutdown. They probably wouldn't make it through another one. But but you could make the argument that by shutting down the state, just like France is shutting down, Maybe you would be able to better stop the spread. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, let, let's tee this up. The The trend now in Europe, at least in Germany and France, has been let's go back to where we were in the spring. Let's shut down the country because we've seen a resurgence of the virus. Can we? Should we do that here? My answer would be if we do, I, I think it's going to be economically devastating. I don't think people would put up with it, um, and I think there's other better ways to deal with it. But that that is an appealing way, I guess. On the one hand, let's just shut everything down again. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Matt in Mequon. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Yeah, I would definitely be against shutting everything down. I I don't think it makes doesn't um, make a difference. Uh, I think it, it would be economically devastating for our economy. Um, look what it's done in, in Wisconsin and and in places like Michigan. You know, it, it literally these businesses have figured out you know how to mitigate this and let businesses mitigate it. Um, but it would be economically devastating doing that, and I would be totally against doing it. Well, you know, th- th- thanks um, for calling. Think- you know, it's it's interesting to me that that, that again, this that the Wall Street Journal has an editorial today. They describe this as this blunderbuss tactic. And, and see, I, I, I I'm not going to criticize the earlier shutdown, but I, I think we have to learn from that. And and my argument would be, okay, we we've reopened with with conditions. Okay, the the barber shops, the hairdressers that we 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 essentially devastated by edict. You know, we we devastated the ability of of the the people that cut hair or groom dogs. Or, you know, we we devastated their ability to 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 make a living. 
And, you know, it, it's easy to sit in Madison and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to do this. And, you know, we, we want to limit people from going out. But you don't understand and appreciate the real world consequence of what that has. So we, we put in these rules and we say, okay, here here's the deal. You go to get your hair cut, you have to wear a mask. Your stylist has to wear a, a mask. Um, there, there's no there's no waiting around in the waiting rooms. That's how they do it where I get my hair cut. Or the dental offices that were essentially forced to close. Well, okay, all these places that have reopened and they've spent all this time and effort on Again, strategies which are designed to mitigate the spread of virus. And as near as I can tell, for example, I, I don't see outbreaks of, of COVID being traced to, oh, the, the barber shop or the, the dentist office or, or people going into the luggage store, which tells me why shutdowns are, are inappropriate. Um, again, I think there's better ways to deal with it. And there is a real world economic impact on this. You know, people who were shut down by government edict for 60 or 90 days and have opened with just limited access to the general public they they're hanging on by their they're hanging on by the skin of their teeth and I don't think you can force them to shut down again Jim in Hales Corners Jim you're on WTMJ Hey Jeff Hi, Jim. what's what's the scenario I mean we shut down for a month cases go down somewhat then we open back up again Cases start to rise, and, and we shut down higher, again. Yep. And yep. then we shut down again, and then we, you know, deja vu all over, all over again. And I think we're going to muddle through this until we get a vaccine. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and the vaccine is really going to be uh, the best solution, along with advanced uh, treatment methods like the monoclonal antibodies and uh, yeah. you know remdesivir. Yeah, well, I mean, I see, I, right, see, you know, you raise an interesting point because just like in, in Europe, it is deja vu all over again. It's okay. We, we shut stuff down, then we opened it up, and now th- we, we've had this spike again. So our default position is to shut this down. And all these merchants who just barely made it through the last time, well, well, sorry, you know, too bad. We know this is going to kill you. Get on the government dole. You, 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 you can't do that. You have to learn from stuff. And I, I think try to figure out a more targeted sort of thing or uh, maybe even a different approach as we buy time till we get a vaccine. Absolutely. Right. Th- thanks. OK, so, Jeff, what would be what would be your targeted approach? You're the king. What what do you do? And I, my answer is, first of all, I, you need rapid testing. You know, you, you need to find out if we're going to stop the spread of this. You need to find out as soon as possible whether people are positive or not for it. Then, if they are, in fact, positive, what you have to do is you have to make arrangements to have people quarantine, counting on people to do it. And, I, and I'm willing to have discussions if people who know that they're positive decide that they're going to intentionally break quarantines. And you need contact tracing to be able to reach out to people and say, hey, you were... You were at this particular place, you know, three days ago, and, you know, somebody that was there has tested positive. You might want to go in and get yourself tested. Matter of fact, we encourage you to go do that. I think that's an effective start for these things. But the idea of, of trying to shut people down and saying to small businesses or medium-sized businesses or dog groomers or hairstylists or small jewelry store owners or whatever, sorry, we're going to cut you, we're going to close you all down again. I think bars and restaurants have largely been scapegoated, as the, in particular restaurants, you know, have largely been scapegoated as part of this. Now, do I think it's reasonable to have limits on size and things like that? Yeah, I, I think that that's especially in areas where there's a huge outbreak. But we, we can't 
I would argue you cannot close down this state. You cannot close down this country. Um, we did it before. And yes, it, it delayed this. But again, you're like our last caller, Jim, was making the point, you know, what, what are we going to do? We let stuff open up for 60 days and then we close it down again for another 60. Well, you know, good luck to good luck to all those businesses that are struggling to survive. Plus, I just don't think people put up with it. I, I just I, I do not. And it, if if government decides to impose things, you've got to figure out how you're going to enforce it. And how are you going to enforce things if large chunks of the public aren't supportive of what you're going to do? Back with more in just a minute. A lot of really thoughtful texts about this. Let me just share a a couple. Jeff, Wisconsin and the USA should simply have an at-risk shutdown. If you are an at-risk person, stay home. Those are the vast majority of the people who die from this. Um, Most everyone else survives. I, I, I do think that as you move forward... That, that's got to be one of the areas where, where you concentrate on the, the people who are in those at-risk categories. And you know, we, we talk a lot about the nursing homes and stuff. I mean, you, if even now, if, if you look at where the deaths are coming from in Wisconsin and, and again, nationwide, it, it's not all people who are like 80 and older or 70 and older, but but that's where a lot of it is. The older you are, then you start to add, you know, um, again, some of the different health issues that we all know about, overweight, obesity, diabetes, you know, um, various compromised immune system issues. You start adding that in, and those people are at a much greater risk of having a bad outcome. I'm arguing that you'd make more sense in trying to concentrate our efforts on on keeping those people safe who are most likely to have the bad outcome. And if you've got a finite amount of resources, that that's where you, you start by saying, okay, we've got to, you know, we, we've got to do everything we can to make sure that you don't have outbreaks in nursing homes in, in New York, where if you have that outbreak, um, you're, you're going to have a whole bunch of people get sick or, or rehab facilities or wherever, where a lot of people that are there have compromised immune systems or whatever. To me, that's just what makes makes sense. Uh, Jeff, no to shutdowns. I just got called back to work for the first time since March 2nd. Since March, I, I start in two weeks and, you know, can't wait to, you know, do that. Um, you know, there, there's no question about it. Jeff, the World Health Organization said that lockdowns make poor people poorer. It will increase the divide between the haves and have-nots. I think it would be a mistake. It doesn't hurt the comfortable. Well, there, there is an element of truth to that. I mean, if there, there are some people for whom, like the, the first the Wisconsin Safer at Home order, it was an inconvenience, you know, an inconvenience uh, to them, whereas for others, it, it was kind of a, at least an economic life and death, you know, struggle. Um, exactly. Jeff, I think by now they know that there should be more than enough data to know uh, to how to tell people with other health problems and age groups that it's been hitting them harder. Um, that's where the concentration has to be. And then, of course, I've got the typical thing. It's the Trump rallies that are causing this. No limits in, in people. Well, I, I think 
here's my only comment for for people who think it, it's all the the handful of trump rallies that they've had that are leading to these numbers well okay and unfortunately you know after the election after this last trump rally that's going to occur sometime in the next day or two i forget when he's coming to the green bay area after those rallies cease i, I think unfortunately you're still going to see COVID numbers at, at high levels i think it's more than the trump rally um jeff there's no question that shutting down again would slow the spread However, the unintended consequence of a shutdown is far greater than COVID outbreaks. The government has taken it upon themselves to prioritize whose lives are more important. And as soon as you open up, positive test results will spike up again. We are just, you know, delaying an inevitable. Jeff, um, at-risk shutdown makes sense, but I'm at risk and still need to go out or go to the store. Um, if you let it spread uncontrolled, I will probably get it and likely die. Can't people just wear a mask? Well, I, again, I... I think people, you know, should wear a mask, but I'm not sure that that's going to guarantee that you're not going to get it, as we talked about before, which isn't to say that wearing a mask is not a good um, thing. Um, let's see. Um, Jeff, um, at, again, let's see. Um, da, 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 da. Um, hey, Jeff, the other day you talked about Trump having to go out to Waukesha for a rally because it was on Milwaukee County property. Um, oh, by the way, can you find out if where Biden is coming? Well, we can check that one out as well. Jeff, if we were to do a shutdown, it would kill middle class citizens. Um, then it would be rich or poor. And by by kill, I think they're referring to economically. Look, here, here's the bottom line. The, it is a, it is difficult. I think all the experts said that once you had the, the cold weather returning and people going more inside, there was the likelihood that you were going to see the numbers increase. It's one of the reasons why, you know, earlier this summer, you were looking at the areas, the states that were the hot spots, Florida, Arizona, Texas, um, th- those states, California, and people were saying, okay, look, they, they didn't have the problem before. Well, okay, a lot of this is is climate related. By that I mean, in in Florida and in Arizona and in Texas in the summer, you are inside. I mean, I was just with some folks who live in in Scottsdale, Arizona, the other day, and they were telling me that you know that this summer it got to 117, 117. Well, you know, you're that's 117 in the heat is like. You know, five degrees in, in January in Wisconsin. Okay. When it's five degrees, you're not outside. You're inside. When it's 117, you're inside. So this summer, I think you saw some spikes in some of those warm weather places because it's the air conditioning. They, people want to be inside for that. Now those numbers go down at least a little bit because people are back outside again. Here, what we're seeing in the, the Midwest and the Northeast, you're, you're seeing numbers that start to go up again because it gets colder and we end up going inside. But you do have to figure out, while appreciating the severity of this, how are we going to deal with it without taking the blunderbuss approach of saying, all right, we're going to go back and try to shut everything down again. As I said before, people aren't going to put up with that. And at the end of the day, I don't think it really solves anything. It, it might okay, it might delay some some it might delay the spread a little bit, but you're going to have to reopen stuff up eventually, aren't you? All right, when we come back, some completely different stuff. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Okay, Melissa, your favorite time of the day when 
without telling you I was going to do this, I asked you some obscure <laughs> off-the-wall question. And <laughs> I, I should be prepared for this by now. <laughs> but it is it's, it, Actually, somebody the other night was saying, that, Melissa, when, when you ask her some of those things, come on, you guys really worked that out. It's no, a bit, right? Said, no, totally no. not. No. <laughs> no. All right. Okay, so here here is my question. Jordan, you can play with this as well. All right. Here is my question. Today is October 29th. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens, do you know what happens four weeks from tomorrow? November 27th. You know what happens four weeks from tomorrow? Four weeks and one day from tomorrow. Well, okay. that will be the Friday after Thanksgiving. Okay. All right, go I'll ahead. Stop. I'll no, stop. Go, no, no. Well, it's the Friday you... after Thanksgiving. I know that. Which is? Black, Black Friday. Friday. All right, see? You guys just teamed up. You we got did. it. Oh, I you like got it better it. being on a team. You got it. You got it in one. <laughs> See, normally we make Melissa guess that at first, but that's okay. You just kind of jumped in. I look apologize for stepping no, on you, okay. Melissa. Look no, at the, then I have to go through the calculations in my head. Look at what the day is big it on? brain on Jordan. Absolutely, yes. You're, you are right. It is. It is Black Friday, which you know historically has been the the big shopping day of the year. They call it Black Friday because historically it's been the, the time when retailers move from losing money from the year being in the red to being in the black. That's it. Okay, now, Melissa, before I let you go, do you have any big fri- or Black Friday this year? Will, will you be going out early and no, doing shopping? you know, anything? I've never been a big Black Friday person. I've never waited in a line on Black Friday. Normally those, those uh, deals roll over into the next day or the next day, the whole weekend. So I don't really... Go to, go to Black Friday, but I will say I will likely be doing the majority of my shopping online this year for Christmas. Okay. Yep. All right. Thank you. That right, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, back in, in the day... Um, I, I used to um, I, when when Sykes was here. I used to somehow end up filling up filling in for him on on thank on the day after Thanksgiving morning, Black Friday morning. And what we would always do is devote a segment. At start the show would start at eight thirty in the morning, and we devote a segment to to people who'd been out participating in the Black Friday extravaganzas. And the phone lines would fill up, and and I'd hear calls from men and women, but mostly women who had been out since 4 o'clock in the morning waiting in line outside the big box retailer, whether it's Walmart or Target or Best Buy or you name it, you know, waiting there since 4 or 5 in the morning to be able to get in when they open the doors at 5 o'clock and then race to whatever that item is that, that they wanted. And and that was the, the big deal. Part of it was to get the bargains. Part of it was, I, I think, just like... Just like people go deer hunting, you know, it, it's it, it's this like tradition. I think for some people, you know, taking part in the Black Friday thing was was just sort of a tradition. And I'd hear from people who would say, "Yeah, I, I went out." A lot, like I say, primarily women, but not exclusively. But yeah, my my two sisters and I, you know, we get together and this is what we do every year. And we're out there and then we we pick the stores and we hit two stores and then by six thirty we we go and we have coffee together or something and then we're home by eight o'clock or. 830. Okay. Now of course this is not a year like any others. This is this is the year of the the COVID pandemic and of course over the last several years what's happened is more and more people ha- have stopped doing a lot of their shopping in person and what they've done is they they've turned to the internet. So here here is the deal. Um Black Friday is still going to I- exist. Walmart Home Depot, Target, um, you know, all of those are going to, you know, continue to be open. But many of the best deals 
are going to be available online. So what that does is that will reduce the, you don't have to go out. You, you don't have to stand in those particular lines. You're going to be able to get the stuff online without being outside the store at 5 o'clock in the morning waiting for the doors to open. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Even if a lot of the deals are available online, so you don't have to be there at 5 o'clock in the morning, my guess is that some people are still going to participate in Black Friday in the traditional way. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you anticipate this year that you will physically... Be in the stores. Some of the stores are still going to open on Thanksgiving evening. You know, that's one of the things. Or they're going to open that that morning, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning. Are you changing your shopping habits this year? We discuss. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I confess, I, I am just, I am intrigued by how our personal habits change based on technology and evolve over the time and, of course, based on 2020, which is a year unlike any others. Historically, you've had Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. People have lined up outside the big box retailers at 5 o'clock in the morning, ready to rush in and and get the the best deal. Retailers say they're still going to do it, but because there is a pandemic going on more and more of them are saying what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to change and yeah we're going to have good prices and stuff indoors but more and more stuff is going to be made available online so in-store traffic won't be as large and people can take advantage of this my guess is that people are still going to turn out because big good black friday yes it's a chance for bargains but i think Sometimes it's something more than that. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, well, I've never gone out on uh, Black Friday. My wife and my sister-in-laws and nieces have done it in the past. I haven't done it for a while. But my point that I wanted to make was uh, I'm thinking that there's one silver line to COVID-19 is that most physical retailers, store locations, will be closed on Thanksgiving and people can enjoy Thanksgiving at home instead of going shopping right after dinner at six o'clock on thanksgiving evening yeah yeah do you think your wife do you think, my point. Do, you, do you think the the women in your life are going to be out on friday doing the, their traditional you know hunter gathering shopping type of thing uh my younger nieces might my, my wife will not for sure yeah now, they, I, I think I think that, see a lot of people are, are going to be like that. Again, I, I think in some respects it, it's a tradition that's there. But you've got these retailers who are trying to first of all manage in-store traffic. I, I get it, and, and secondly. What they they want to do is they want to take advantage of the fact that more and more people are are shopping um, over over the internet. Um, Jeff, you won't have to really worry about deals. Um, okay, let's see. Jeff, my shopping habits have changed, but in a different way. I'm already halfway through Christmas shopping for three reasons. One, I'm bored being at home. Two, there's the online convenience. And um, you know, three, I'm afraid that you know, some of these limited items that I'm looking for might sell out. It's kind of an interesting notion. Are people doing Christmas shopping earlier? Um, Jeff, are there going to be time limits online? Usually Walmart only had like five TVs and then they were done. You know, interesting question. You're right. Sometimes you had some of these stores that would have what we would call the loss leaders that would be in there and a limited number. 
which is why people said, well, we got to get in there at two o'clock and we got to be in line at two o'clock in the morning. So when the doors open at five, we can be one of the first people to get the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. Um, Jeff, I'd rather eat bees than go shopping on Black Friday. That's from Dick. Yeah, I'm I'm actually um, I'm actually in that kind of same category but at the same time i i mean i i understand i've had people explain that to me if um if if you really want that that dvd player if we'll take a you know you want you really want that blu-ray that blu-ray disc dvd player and you you really want to have it and we can take a walk back into the past for those things and you know you can get this for you know a hundred dollars less than you'd otherwise be able to get it i mean i can understand why people are you know showing up like that jeff i'm done with my shopping already um everything that i need i purchased online jeff i'm wondering if christmas shopping is going to be down because of the supposed bad economy and people not sure about their jobs well i think that's you know, that is, of course, one of the issues. It's the whole question of, you know, uncertainty that, that's out there. You know, are, how people are going to feel comfortable about their situations, how people are going to feel comfortable about their circumstances, tying this back into what we were talking about earlier with the election. I mean, I continue to believe, and I know some people's heads want to explode when I say this, if there were not for the pandemic, I, I think President Trump would be coasting to reelection. Oh, how can you say that? Well, I say it because... Typically, at the end of the day, people vote their pocketbooks. At least lots of people vote their pocketbooks. And if you feel that your job is secure and you feel that um, you're you don't have to worry about, um, you know, income and you think that things are pretty good and you think that, uh, again, you're not going to lose your house and you're not going to not be able to pay your rent. If you feel good about yourself economically, you tend to vote for the incumbent. And that's certainly where we were in January, you know, before January or February or March. That entire dynamic has changed. And so now the question becomes, you know, who who is better prepared to lead the country back to recovery? Who's better prepared to get us through the pandemic? And that's a much different analysis than, gee, are you are you better off now than you were four years ago? Because if you ask that question in November, you might have gotten a much different answer than if you asked the question in October of 2020. Um, interestingly, interesting to see how this is all going to play out with Black Friday. I think it's going to be different, but don't be surprised if the TV stations are still able to go out and find people lined up outside of the Walmart across the street from where I am now, you know, waiting to try to get that big deal. I think I speak for many people when I say, for the love of God, can't we get a break? What I'm talking about is a break from the election cycle. Now, I'm, my, I, I was talking to my lovely wife yesterday, and, and one of the things that I've discussed this before, she, she, at my urging, watches a lot of the Hallmark Channel. And, and I know a lot of a lot of you do. And, and and my wife is very very smart and very very aware of stuff. But the 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 thing is, if what you do is you if you're one of the news junkies that are out there, and and, and you spend all your time focused on gee you know this cable TV show or that cable TV show or what times this news on or whatever, you by this time you're going nuts 
Because even even the most dedicated news junkie, you, you've you've just had it. I would guess this kind of like up to here. And then if you watch regular television, for example, every second ad, sometimes three out of four ads in a row are are political ads about this person who's you know going to throw old people out of nursing homes and over the cliff, and and this person who's going to do all these horrible things, etc. And and this is the point in time in election seasons where I think. Most people, including, by the way, the candidates, get to a point where they say, "Enough! I've, I've had enough of this. You know, please just make it stop." <laughs> you know, it's, and 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 you know, okay, this is Thursday. You, you've got at least three or four more days from this. And look, don't get me wrong. I'm a guy who makes a living, you know, working on a radio station that, that sells political ads. Okay, so I, I appreciate that. You know, when we used to share a corporate identity with uh, today's TMJ4, I mean, this was their 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 head sales guy. We would always just come in, or would come in early on in the year and say, "Okay, what are going to? What do you think are going to be the hot races?" And you know, because he's looking, it gets a business. You know, where are we going to get this money from? But, but I think a lot of times for the average voter, the average consumer, by by this time, your mind is made up. You know, in many cases, if you're one of the million people in Wisconsin who've already voted, you already voted. So you can listen to the different ads and you can get worked up about this, that, or the other one. But it doesn't make any difference because you've already voted and you're not going to change your vote. So you've got all this different stuff that's going on there. But we're, we're all kind of at a point where you're just trying to, I think, from a consumer perspective, we're all just trying to get through till Wednesday. You know, and, and then then you look back and you see who won and you see who lost, and maybe you'll be bummed out that your candidate lost, or you'll be elated that your candidate won. But I, I think, like on Wednesday morning, there is from from the non-political junkies in the world, there is a collective sigh of relief going. Thank God, we we got through the election. It it it's over, and, and now we've got a couple years till the next one. And if you would think that here in Wisconsin. I've got some bad news for you. You would be wrong. I don't know if you saw this, but last week, last week, there's a guy named Tom Nelson. He's the Outagamie County executive, 44-year-old guy who um, has, he's developing quite a career for having run and lost things. He was elected in his mid-20s to the state assembly. This guy is, he's one of these kind of career politicians. And you, you have this a lot about politicians. You know, every state assemblyman looks in the mirror and sees, sees a state senator. Every state senator looks in the mirror and sees a governor looking back at him. Every governor looks in the mirror or or a U.S. senator or a congressman. Every governor looks in the mirror and sees a president. That's just kind of the, the thing. You know, some people just get these political Joneses and they, they can't do anything about them. So, okay, so this guy's the county executive. He was in the state assembly in his mid-20s, ran for lieutenant governor in 2010, lost, ran for Congress up in the Green Bay area against Mike Gallagher in 2016, lost, got elected to be the Outagamie County executive, and he's used that as a launching point for some, some political other political gigs. But he announced last week he's going to run against Ron Johnson. And now Ron Johnson hasn't announced whether he's going to run for re-election or not. But Johnson's not up for re-election if he runs for re-election until November of 2022. Two years and almost one week. All right, so you already have candidates before 
before the voting has concluded in the 2020 election, you've got some of these candidates who are declaring that they want to run two years from now. And again, my point is, you, you, there's there's nothing illegal about this, and, and and I understand. But at some point in time, and I appreciate getting out of the box early. You know, you want to say hey, I am serious about this. But at some point in time, just like I believe the Fourth of July is too early to put out Halloween decorations. All right, I'm sorry, I'm I'm old school. Just like I don't believe we should be putting out Christmas decorations till we get through Halloween. I, I would think it's way too early to be announcing that you're running for higher office before you even have the the election the election that precedes the one you're looking for. Can't we have some sort of a break? Just saying. Now of course all my friends who sell political advertising would be saying, no, we want people running, and hopefully this guy can raise some money and start running ads in January. Yeah, don't think so. Many school districts across the state made the decision that they were that in-person learning was important. And so even in a pandemic world, they were going to try to open the schools. And, and, and some have... Some have done that. They did it in various fashions. In some cases, it was, okay, two days on, two days off. Um, in other cases, that the kids came back full-time, masks, social distancing, all the things. Some schools have been very, very successful with this. The schools opened up, and they continue to, to stay open. Other schools have gone through like a stop and start sort of situation. We, we've opened, and, and this is in the same school district. Well, you know, one school would open up, and then all of a sudden there's you know, a kid that gets sick or a couple teachers that, you know, get exposed to this, and then you have to quarantine people, so you have to go to virtual, then you go back to the in-person learning. But there appears to be, you know, even in those schools, there's a commitment to try to get the schools opened and keep the schools open to in-person learning. Now, the city of Milwaukee is a little bit different. MPS uh, made a decision early on that they were not going to do in-person learning. And and the decision was uh, apparently just because of the nature of the schools and the fact that lots of the kids have to depend on public transportation and a variety of other factors, they decided that they were going to be closed to in-person learning. And the idea was, all right, we're going to look at exploring perhaps hybrid learning. We want to try to get people back in the classrooms, but that that hasn't happened thus far. And the other day, the, the school board voted nine to nothing unanimously to hold off on hybrid learning. So what that means is that if your kid is at MPS, what's going to happen is your you're not going to have your kids. They're going to miss pretty much the, they're going to miss the whole first semester. Um, Milwaukee school leaders had hoped to begin phasing in learning um, in January. It now appears that that's really not going to be the, the case. And I guess they've decided they just don't think they can do that safely. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the problem with with taking this approach is that for a lot of parents, it's just flat out unacceptable because the the hybrid or the virtual learning or whatever you want to call it just, just doesn't, it either doesn't work or it doesn't work anywhere near as well as the in-person learning. So what we've seen is that in terms of like the public schools and enrollment, 
they, they've, they've been going down. And they've been going down more than normal. And I think part of it is because parents are just making the decision, hey, look, we, we've got to find an alternative. And if the alternative is um, taking our kids out of the public school and sending them to a private school or sending them to a parochial school or a charter school where there is in-person learning, that's what we're going to end up doing. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a number of friends who have school-age children, and I, I constantly ask them, how, how is it going? And they're in all sorts of different situations, again, ranging from back in class, the normal thing, five days a week, to like, it's two days on, it's two days off, and Wednesday's a day when they, they used to like scrub down school, to know that the kids aren't back in school at all, they're on the computers checking it out. And to a person, everybody tells me, or at least all the people I'm talking to, is that it's not fair to say virtual learning is a disaster. Matter of fact, the input I get is that it's better now than it was say last spring when this was kind of just sprung upon people no pun intended but it's still a very very poor alternative it looks like at mps and again you know that they it looks like i think it is entirely possible that this entire school year may be virtual because right now you're losing the whole first semester and I, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's going to be something, you know, magic that, that occurs, some curtain that magically lifts in January. But my guess is that, you know, things aren't going to be materially different when it comes to, you know, public instruction and, and the presence of coronavirus and stuff. It's not going to be materially different in January than it is as we approach November. So it looks like I think there's a strong possibility that you might lose a year an entire year, at least, of in-person learning. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, what is the effect of that going to be? For the students, not just at MPS, but at other places as well, who have been consigned to the virtual learning for a year, a year and a half, are they going to ever catch up? Or have we just dramatically increased the achievement gap? And my my gut feeling is, yeah, I mean, if if some of these school districts that were obviously or perhaps potentially lagging before this happened, if they're if they're going to be virtual for a year, an entire an entire school year, you're going to have if there was an achievement gap before the achievement gap is going to be monumental when and if they finally get back to in-person classes. 855-616-1620, we discuss. All right, Milwaukee Public School System made the decision before the the start of the school year that they weren't even going to try to bring people back, kids back, for in-person learning. They weren't even going to try to do that. And again, some districts have brought people back, the kids back, for in-person learning, and it's worked. They've been able to keep the kids in class. Other school districts or individual schools and districts brought the kids back, and they've had to have kind of this stop and start thing because of, of concerns about coronavirus. Um, MPS didn't even try. And MPS has now announced that for next semester, it, it appears that they're not going to even try either. The, the school board says we're not even going to consider what second semester is going to look like till we meet in, in mid to late January. And what that tells me is, especially if, if it 
if the COVID numbers aren't materially different, and I, I'm not sure that there's anything on the horizon, at least in the course of the next 60 days, that are going to make those numbers materially different, it, it tells me that uh, in-person learning at MPS is probably not going to happen this year. What does that do to the kids who now will have been out of at least direct in-person classroom learning for going on a year and a half? Let's talk to uh, Mike in Fox Point. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Mike. We have a um, sophomore son at Nicolay High School. and I, I can say from firsthand experience that it's more difficult for him. He's had more challenges focusing. He's not happy. He wishes there was a way they could get back uh, at some to some level, and it's uh, he doesn't seem like his normal self. So mm-hmm. I don't see. I hope I was hoping that by next semester there'd be a way they could come back part time at least, which I'm still hopeful because right. I we just don't see that it's doesn't seem to be good for him. Well, you know, and I, I guess some kids can thrive, but those, but those kids, I think, are the, the minority of kids. Both kids, I think, need the instruction. They need the socialization. It's all these types of things. And, and, and candidly, Mike, I mean, you're, you're not a professional educator. You know, that's, that's, that's right. why you, that, right. that's why you send the kids to school. It's not that you're a bad parent or anything. It's just that, you know, that's, that's why we have schools and that's why we pay teachers for the in-person learning. Right. And we've, uh, not too many miles away, so the schools are open. So, right, you know, it, it's kind of hard to make sense of the the rules of the geography yeah. lines and how that works. But I've considered uh, maybe moving if, if something doesn't get better soon. Well, no, I and I think more. I mean, thanks to call, Mike. I think more and more people are are coming to that conclusion. And and again, when when MPS first announced the decision to go hybrid, I I to go all virtual. I was I was modestly critical, but I understand that the district's needs are, are different perhaps than some suburban school districts. But the longer this goes on and the, the longer this goes on and the longer you consign kids to, to vir, quote unquote virtual learning, which for for some is exactly that it's virtual learning. But for a lot, it's just like, hey, you're, you're, you're essentially not in school. The more that that achievement gap, I, I think, you know, um, the more that achievement gap between, say, the the school districts that have or at least are trying in person learning versus the ones that are just completely virtual, the larger that gap gets. Jeff, I agree. We took our fifth grader from public school in Green Bay to a private Catholic system. Big difference in real education focus. We will not go back. Part of the problem is the public schools offer no hope of returning, and our kids will be a year or two behind. Their kids would be a year or two behind private schools at at best. Um, you know, uh, yeah, there is that attitude that's there. Let's see. Um, Jeff, are there any schools anywhere in the world that are operating normally? I don't know, but I suspect very few. In that case, the achievement could universally suffer, but the gap might not widen. It's still not good. I, I get it. No, I don't think any schools are operating normally, but some some have the in-person instruction model, and they're figuring out a way to make it work, or at least they're trying for the in-person things, recognizing that you have to be able to pivot. And maybe it's a situation where, hey, we've got this outbreak at this particular school, so we have to be prepared to switch and go virtual for a week or two. Um, Jeff, I think it's unconscionable for MPS to delay opening any further. We know many of the students at MPS are disenfranchised in one way or another, Um it, it's it's challenging. Um, 
challenging for education in the building, nearly impossible online. Overall, I think it's a lost year for many, and the impact on the social, emotional, mental health could be felt for many years to come. Jeff, um, I believe, sadly, MPS is doing a disservice to the kids that probably need it the most. If kids in education is most important, they would figure out how to get the kids in school. Okay, so here's the, the contrast. Um, Jeff, let's see, my daughter goes to Alverno. She hates online, plus they're raising their tuition. Go figure that. Jeff, I completely disagree that every child is going to be behind. Well, I didn't say every child was going to be behind. I said the vast majority of kids. But okay, I completely disagree that every child is going to be behind. My daughter is doing virtual learning, and what she has covered, they have not gotten to in the classroom, according to her friends that are doing the in-person learning. My daughter is very conscientious and doing very well. This is working well for us. And to that, I would say, great. I, I mean, and I, I mean that. I think that's just absolutely super that, that that's working. And there is there is going to be that subset of kids out there that thrive in the, the virtual learning setup. And, and I, I know that that's the case. My point is, I think for the vast majority of kids, that that's, that that's not the case. And I think most parents would, would say that. And, and again, that, that makes sense. I mean, it's, if you think about it, it's, it's why you send kids to school, because they get the socialization, they get the interaction with their, their peers, with their classmates. You know, you get the in-person instruction with the teacher that's in the classroom. I, I'm sorry, that, that, that is not duplicated by the, Again, by, you know, what goes on, you know, with the virtual learning things, which isn't to say that some kids can't thrive. I, I appreciate that some kids could thrive. I just don't think it's the majority. And I think especially for some of these urban school districts, the longer you let kids stay out of school, the more that gap is going to be, especially if you start with an achievement gap in the first place. Tom in New Berlin. Tom, you're in WTMJ. Hi. Um, yeah, I have friends that teach at MPS and uh, do their virtual teaching, and I have several friends that are teaching with the in-person in um, the suburbs. And um, the thing of it is is that, um, that, yeah, the teacher that is teaching the in-person out in the suburbs prefers that and um, to do that. But at the same time, she just recently had three teachers that became sick. And they told one of the teachers that was sick that one got her test to come to work without having the test results. And then she came back and she got another teacher sick. And one of the teachers is very sick. And there are teachers that have died in Wisconsin. So that are as young as like in their 40s. So the woman that died in her 40s. And you know that the death rate is just skyrocketing. The virus rate is skyrocketing, particularly in Wisconsin. So, I mean, it's ideal. The teachers have said that to do the in-person. But then the trade-off is that you're definitely going to have more people die, more innocent people. Well, you're going to, I mean, the trade-off is that by, by more interaction, you're going to have arguably more people that, that get sick. I mean, there, you know, look, you, you, I don't know how you deal with the negatives because, you know, people, you know, people who aren't in classrooms go out and, and they get COVID all the time. I mean, because they're going out into society. And that's why, I mean, I think the schools have to monitor this. And if you have an outbreak, what you do is you you then maybe if, if there is that outbreak, what you have to do is you have to close down the school temporarily and then try it again. I, I think this idea that, though, we're just going to, like, not have any sort of in-person learning, to me, that's unacceptable. And, and I guess my evidence would be there's lots of schools that are able to do this, and they're they're able to, to make it 
work? Can you guarantee that nobody is going to get COVID in, in school? Well, no, you, you can't, but you can't guarantee that nobody's going to get COVID when they go to Walmart or when they end up going to the grocery store. Now, if you've got an example, real example of somebody who is showing symptoms and You've got a you got a fever. You're coughing up a lung, and you're waiting for your COVID result. And the school says, "Well, you got to come in and and teach." Well, I think that's look. I, that's a fair indictment. I mean, what's going on? If that isn't true, if that is in fact true, you know what what's going on? That's that's ridiculous. I mean, what people have to do and what employers have to do is be smart. And if somebody, we have a big sign here as you come into the door, and it says, "If you're sick, turn around and go home." And that's, and of course, that that's just common sense. And if schools are really forcing people to do it, that's irresponsible. But I don't think that's the case in most situations. Again, my my only point is, I think you have to do everything you can to try. And if you, again, have a whole school year that goes by with no in-person learning, what is the effect that that is going to have on kids? And my point would be, I, it just it just can't be good. We can argue about how bad it is, but it can't be good. When we come back, we'll find out what John, Melissa, and Greg have on their minds. Please stick around.